Ephesians chapter, or Ephesians, Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verse 13. We'll pick up where we left off this morning, and for the next couple Sunday nights, we're going to continue through the book of Hebrews, uh, because um, beginning in August, there's something coming that uh, we need to be done with Hebrews for, so uh, a lot to get all the way through the book if, we, if we're able to. So, uh, now I want to talk to you about hanging on to God's promises. Uh, thankful for those promises that we can be assured that when God says something, we take to the bank that he is faithful to keep his promises. Uh, and uh, so let's take a look uh, at some of those tonight. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation for them, and end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both steadfast or sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. What a, a reminder as the writer of Hebrews continues to remind us that, hey, as we deepen uh, our faith in Christ as we head to the deep end of the pool, if you will, of our spiritual life, that's where we find the sureness of God's promises. That's where we really find a relationship with the Lord and where that relationship is deeper. Thanks to the advent of Facebook and other social media, most of us have what we call it Facebook friends. Facebook says I have 1,300 and some Facebook friends. I don't know 1,300 people in, in, in all my life that I like, much less that I call my friend. But their friend that you, by acquaintance or because you know somebody that they know or uh, you have something else in common, why you friend them so you can follow them on Facebook. You're not really close to those people, are you? If you walked across the street or they came to church tonight and sat down in the pew, we wouldn't recognize them. We wouldn't know who, who they were. But hopefully we have some friends that we know. And we have some relationships that are deeper. Uh, and there's some people that we know that we can count on no matter what? Uh, mentioned, uh, you know, I have some friends who are uh, in law. I have a high school friend that I flew home and married him and his wife a few years ago. Um, 
and I know that you know Josh and I haven't seen each other in a little while. If I had a need, if some federal government come knocking on my door and hauled me off, he would be the first one I would call. And if he could, he would be there, or he'd get on the phone and say, "Listen, you let Aaron alone. Let him go." Uh, and they may or may not. Um, why? Because I have a relationship with him. Now, if somebody just off the street called and he didn't know why they wouldn't answer their phone. Uh, it, perhaps a better example, This I should have thought about this sooner. If Miss Joanne gets arrested and thrown in the clink, she just has to make one phone call and her brother will probably laugh. He'll probably chide her. He will probably say, well, what'd you do? I'm going to leave you in there. But he would he would be the, he would get up behind his dad and he would go after her. Why? Because she's his sister. She, we joke, he wouldn't leave her. He, he would come after her uh, and rescue her. Why? Because he's her brother and he loves her. And they have that relationship. So we need to understand the point that the writer of Hebrews is making is that when we come to know Christ, we enter a relationship, in fact, a close family relationship with the Almighty. And that when God makes a promise, He keeps it. But He points out that sometimes it may seem like God didn't keep the promise. Well, what's he referring to? Take our minds back to Genesis chapter 12. That's where God called to Abraham and said, Hey, Abram, I want you to leave the country and go to a place that I'm going to show you. And I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you and all the nations of the world will be blessed and you'll have offspring more than the seashore, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And God obeyed. Or Abraham obeyed what God had told him to do. He said, well, I'll follow you where you go. Now, it was not smooth sailing for Abraham from that point forward. Some of it was Abraham's own doing and the choices that he made that were not right. Some was just circumstance that other people and the timing, because, you know, when we, in our culture that we're instant gratification junkies aren't we we want it now now we just don't want it now we want it yesterday if we have to wait 90 seconds in the drive through man we are up so we're honking our horn and you know, saying move along you dumb dumb but god's promises he never breaks a promise and that's the point that the writer of hebrews is making but sometimes god's timing is not our timing and oftentimes, the way we get to God's promises are through endurance and hanging in and going through some trials and difficulties. Well, the fact of human nature is we are not very good at enduring. In fact, most of the time, what comes naturally to most of us is when the difficulties get difficult, what do we do? We give up, don't we? So, well, I just don't want to do that anymore. And yet, the reward comes when we hang in there and we see things through to the end. 
And so the writer of Hebrews reminds us, saying, listen, God cannot lie. And he has made this promise that he is going to bless you, um, that God cannot. He doesn't change. That's what immutable means, is unchangeable. God doesn't, he's not fickle, in other words. That when he makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. And there's nobody greater that he can swear an oath to, so he swore by him to himself this oath and said, listen, I surely will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to really bless you, and I'm really going to multiply all that you have. Well, Abraham's multiplication or blessings did involve monetary uh, things, but the blessings of God are not always monetary. We, we understand that, don't we? But we know that when God makes a promise, he keeps it. One of those promises is he says, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He said, listen, I am going to take care of your sin death. And that's exactly what he did. That's what Jesus did when he paid his, uh, with his blood. He paid my sin debt and your sin debt and the sin debt of all the whosoever's in the world. The whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that's a wonderful promise. But we get mixed up in that promise is that salvation doesn't just cancel out sin debt. It doesn't just erase our past. God doesn't just save us from the sin that had us so ensnared and um, had such a hold in our life. But I want to suggest, and the writer of Hebrews is telling us, that not only does God save us from some things, God saves us for some things. That God not only saves us and pays our sin debt, but when he does that, he changes us. And he makes us new, and we become his, and we become joint heirs with Christ. He's promising he saved us so that we could enter rest. And that rest that he's talking about, by the way, is not Disney vacation. Not a trip to the beach. In fact, that rest ultimately doesn't come in this life at all. Are there some peaceful things that happen in this life? Yeah, in fact, the Bible says that if you're a child of God, you have peace that passes understanding. The Bible says, let the peace of God guard your heart. And so there is peace and there is rest, thankfully, in this world. Thankfully, we all need times where we take vacation and and we get away and just relax. But the true rest is, he's talking about, is eternity. And there it really will be peace. And there, you know, the Bible talks about the streets of gold and no sickness and no pain. And, you know, glorified by, and what, what a beautiful and wondrous place that will be. But the writer of Hebrews is reminding us that if we give up on our faith, 
we will not make it to that rest. So often we give up eternal things and things that will last forever for momentary pleasure. Things that don't last. And it might be money. It might be a position. It might be a person. But none of those things are eternal, are they? And yet I have a feeling we all, if we thought about it, we all know some people that have given up a walk with Christ for things that are temporary. That have given up the eternal rest for temporary pleasure or temporary fulfillment. So the writer of Hebrews says, listen, that's insane. Why, Why would you do that? Because God has promised. And when God promises something, you can take, he can't change. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and he'll be the same tomorrow. And so that means when God makes a promise to us in his word, it may not come to pass the way we think it should or in the timing that we think it should, but it will come to pass the way God intends for it to come to pass. And so when we think we're all alone, we only need to remember the promise that God made that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. When we think we don't have the things that we need, we only have to remember that God promises that he'll provide our every need. Remember Jesus said, don't you think the Father has need? He knows what you have need of before you even ask. We talked about tonight, um, some of us had a, a meeting. We were talking about how God always provides for his people and for his work. I brought up the example of the Israelites uh, as they left the land of Egypt and God told them to build a tabernacle and he gave them instructions about the kind of wood and uh, the purple cloth that the tabernacle was supposed to contain and the gold and the silver uh, that was supposed to adorn uh, the tabernacle out in the wilderness. Well, where did the people get it from? They just have it laying around? God had provided it for them from the Egyptians because God laid it on the hearts of the Egyptians, gave them favor and said, told the, and the Egyptians gave their gold and their silver to the Israelites because God knew they were going to need it for something later on. And they did. God always gives us the provisions that we need. We sometimes wonder about it, but he always comes through every single time. And so when we, but the key is to grabbing a hold of those promises is endurance. It's in being able to go through the storms of life that we all sometimes have to walk through. We all know that the Christian life's not a bed of roses all the time. That's not easy. We know that there are struggles. We know that there's pain. We know that there's disappointment. 
And there may be times in life when we're tempted to say, you know what? Just not worth it anymore. God was God, then, then why did this happen? And as Job shows us, God's not upset by our questioning, and, and but he is our, our doubting. And our walking away from him has some serious consequences. And so the writer of Hebrews says, hey, listen, you need to endure. Verse 15, in fact, he says, he says, after he patiently endured. So not just stuck it out because he had to and he didn't have any choice, but he patiently waited for the Lord. He received God's promises. I have a spoiled, rotten dog that really doesn't do much of anything. He is the laziest dog on planet Earth. He doesn't fetch. He doesn't come most of the time when you call him, although he's capable of doing that. He's stubborn. And he knows the command to come because he does it every once in a while. But he does it when he wants to, and when he's of the unction, if you will. But when Joey gets a treat, he has to sit. And he doesn't get a treat unless he sits. Now, if you just tell him, Joey, sit, he'll just stand there on all fours and look at you with his ears perked up. But when he sees you've got that treat, suddenly, all of a sudden, he remembers, oh, I can sit. And he sits real good until he gets that treat, and then he's off. Sometimes we as Christians behave that way. We know what we're supposed to do, and we're capable of doing what God has told us to do. But... Sometimes we want to say, well, let's wager with God. God, I'll do it if you've got a treat. If you'll give me something, I'll do it. And then as soon as we've gotten whatever we've wanted, we're right back to how we used to be. You think God is pleased with that? Absolutely he's not. Is that really what uh, a life of hope and rest is about? No, it's not. Thankfully, we have a little bit more, hopefully, wherewithal in intelligence and will to, than a dog does in our obedience toward God. God, the Almighty, has every right to tell us what to do. We have no right to question Him. We have to do what He tells us to do. And when you're at work, if you're not the boss, the owner of the company, and kind of can set your own ways... When your boss tells you to do something, you, if you want to keep your job, guess what? You have to do it, even if you think it's the dumbest thing ever. Well, in some respects, it's the same with our relationship with God, that because of who God is, when he tells us to do something, when he gives us direction, we have to obey. But so often we want to be able to do what we want to do and still enjoy the blessings of God. Well, the story of Abraham, several others throughout the Bible remind us you can't just do that. 
that if you want the promises of eternal life and the presence of God and the blessing of God and the multiplication of God, then you've got to have some evidence of obedience toward God in your life. And if you're not obeying God, don't expect God's blessing. And if you've been sluggish, to use the term that the writer of Hebrews has used twice now, once in chapter 5 and once in chapter 6, if we're lazy in our spiritual walk, God's not going to give us his favor. And we have no right to expect God's favor when we are not living for him. But the great thing is about laying hold of the promises of God is that even when we have disobeyed God, even when we've sinned, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If we ask, he extends grace. If we ask. But there will come a day when the day of grace will end. Either because we've wandered so far away from the Lord that we'll never ask him to forgive us. Or because our life ends and we don't have an opportunity to repent and to to ask the Lord to come into our life and to, to, to rededicate ourselves to him. And so the writer of Hebrews, I think, would remind us, hey, listen, you need to learn to patiently endure. That it's not just this advertising slogan that good things really do come to those who wait. Wait on the Lord because the, that's where the best blessings come from, is from the Lord. Some here in this life, but the blessings God gives us in this life don't even begin to compare with the blessings we'll have in eternity. So let's make sure we live this life in such a way that we don't forfeit our inheritance, our right to have that rest in eternity for something temporary. So often we give up real things, real blessings for temporary and fake stuff that's not good and doesn't last. So Lord, help us to remember uh, that great promise. Let's stand together tonight. We'll be dismissed in a, a word of prayer. Remember, no service.